As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, happy Friday if you are listening to this on release date. You are listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening, of course, to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am joined once again by a fellow Megan. Even if this one has some bonus letters in her name, we won't fight about how to spell Megan properly. It's fine. There's a lot of different ways. Megan Burke, executive director of the NWSL Players Association, is here to help break down the newly signed collective bargaining agreement, which happened right before Angel City FC's debut game on Friday night, with Burke and new NWSL commissioner Jessica Berman putting pen to paper on the document, like right on the field. A very fun moment. Uh, The full PDF is public. If you want to pause this episode right now and read it first, you are welcome to do that. We have the link in the show notes. But hopefully we're going to also make this document a little bit easier to understand. You can understand some of the the reasoning behind what the players were looking for out of this collective bargaining agreement after this conversation. We've got some some very specific details to get into. But before we get into the rest of today's episode, as always, if you would like to show your support of full-time plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else the athletic has to offer on our site on our app you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full time it is always our very best deal on the athletic so you can never go wrong with that url and you are showing that you support women's soccer coverage so it's a win-win all right i feel like i personally have not slept in like a, at least a week uh went to la with steph uh, sorry for no new episode last week with the travel and my leg being out of practice for all of it. You know how it is. Uh, until I get a clone, here we are. Sometimes we're going to miss an episode. But anyway, let's get into the news. First up, UEFA has ruled out of Russia out of playing out of this summer's Euro tournament with Portugal set to take their spot in Group C. That news dropped this week. Ben Olsen stepped down from his role as president of the Washington Spirit after eight months in the role. Spirit captain Andy Sullivan said in the team's release, Ben joined us at possibly our worst time and under difficult circumstances. He boldly embraced that and ultimately helped us win our first NWSL championship. I hope we can stay connected to him in whatever he does next. 
Gotham FC keeps picking up new investors. Last month, it was former player Carly Lloyd, and on Wednesday, the team announced that Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman of 35 Ventures were joining as minority investors with plans to support the team in a number of ways, including content and social support. We covered that on The Athletic, if you missed that one. We've got ourselves a Barcelona versus Lyon showdown for the Women's Champions League final set for May 21st in Torino. The game is going to stream, of course, via DAZN's dedicated channel on YouTube. And also the folks from DAZN sent over some numbers for me for some of the rest of the Champions League tournament. Six million views in the semifinals alone across leg one and leg two and 55.9 million views from this Champions League season to date. Not bad. All right, you're going to see an episode of Soccer Every Day also pop into the full-time feed today with plenty more on the Challenge Cup semifinals. You can hear me lose my mind over those penalty kicks, also over the Miss Handball. Uh, But the North Carolina Courage are going to host the Washington Spirit this Saturday, May 7th, for the first trophy of the year on Big CBS and Paramount Plus at 1 p.m. Eastern for the NWSL Challenge Cup Final. Will my bold prediction of the Washington Spirit never losing a game come true? We're going to find out together. All right. Megan Burke is here. She's been on the show to discuss collective bargaining agreement, but now we actually have this full document. Uh, I have it printed out. We're going to go through it article by article and hopefully learn some things together. All right. So, you know, I I do want to start this whole podcast with just... My my physical copy of the CBA is right next to my microphone, so you are going to hear me flipping through the pages of this, you know, 44-page document. We've got a lot to dig into, but I, I, I want to start, before we get into so many of these specific things and actually the, the fact that this is now, like, a nice living document that we are going to refer to for multiple years ahead, right? Like, everyone now finally has this nice, shared, public document which is a nice new development in this league. But, you know, both of us being in Los Angeles um, at Angel City, you know, I, I came down to the field level and found you like coming right off of the field with yep. the ink still fresh from you and Jessica Berman signing the document. Like what, let's walk through that moment first, maybe just in terms of the emotional part of it, but also just the fact that it even, it even happened like that because it was not planned. No, it was not. Um, and I think, you know, <laughs> I'd like to think that that's a harbinger of what's to come this NWSL season. We're bringing the fun back to NWSL. Uh, what an awesome night. Um, I actually had Jessica texted me at like 5, 530 kickoff with 730 local time. She's like, I just got the green light to sign. You know, ratification was January 31st, but there was still work to be done to button the document up, do the definitions, um, you know, finalize a, a few minor pieces. The substance doesn't change, but you still have to, the lawyers got to do their thing, right? So I texted Sydney, my colleague, and I said, go print the CBA. She's like, how many copies? I'm like, as many as you want, just print it. Like, go get as many as you can. And then I texted her again and I'm like, wait, we can't just walk around the stadium with the CBA. Like, can you get a folder? So I think she shook down a hotel employee to go back into his office and grab a file folder, like out of his own cabinet. So we signed, there's all kinds of hilarious things that happen that will hopefully fans will get to see the flat Stanley pictures we took with the CBA, like at the fan fest at the art competition, going through security. Um, we, we signed the document and I told Jessica, I was like, Ooh, I feel like a thousand pounds lighter. Like it just felt like this gorilla came off my back. Like we have this document was in place, but now like 
it felt really important to the players, to the players association to make this public. And we couldn't make it public until it was signed on the dotted line, finished and assembled. Um, so I have, I put it back in the green hanging folder yeah. and I'm like, do what it, it was a hanging folder. It wasn't even just like you know, the little metal yeah. claws that hang out. I actually have it right here, um, which, oh, right. It's a podcast. No one can see me grabbing it. Um, <laughs> This thing is so bootleg and beat up. And so it's got these little like tabs, right? Yeah. So I'm hugging it. And I think you were next to me when some lady walked by with a sweater and it hooked <laughs> on her sweater and she almost walked off with the CBA. And I'm pretty sure I attacked her. Like I like, I was like, no. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, oh, I understand why you think I'm insane. And I, this makes no sense to you right now. But can I have my folder back? <laughs> I really, really need this. I really, really it's very that. important right at the moment. Yeah. And so the whole rest of the way, like I got back to Asheville the next day and everyone's texting me like, do you still have the CBA? Do you still have the CBA? Do you, did you lose it? Do you lo-? like, I'm like, to be fair, you know, it was a, it was a little bit of a wild night in, in Los Angeles. Wow. So <laughs> Oh, I would not have been shocked had it migrated a little bit. Champagne popped in the stands. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, we can skip over that story. Um, <laughs> just in terms of, you know, this is now a, a living document, right? But one of the big picture things, right? And I, I think that this was always the mission of getting the CBA in place is that you have to hold all the stuff in the past that you have to fix while also looking to a certain number of years as the term in the future. And how do you jam those two concepts together and like get the stuff fixed that needs fixing, but also think big picture because we see it in the document, right? Like it's not just, okay, here's minimum salary getting increased, but also minimum salary for the next five years. But it's also, we want a cut of broadcast deals. If the league is profit, you know, there's so much, stuff to like wrap your arms around so like in terms of the actual past 10 years into now you know five how do you wrap your head around that kind of time frame wow yeah that's a great question well duration was one of the really important key issues in getting this deal done and so it's a five-year term um which i think strikes the right compromise between what the players wanted and what the board of governors and the league wanted um you know, first of all, I think in a first contract, we have to remember this is a first contract. And so what you're fighting for as players are concepts, right? Like the concept of free agency, the concept of increased minimum salaries, the concept of standards. There have to be, you know, professional standards, like playing in on a proper football pitch, soccer pitch, um, you know, minimum staffing requirements, um, you know, players having um rights to their own data. Um, now the broadcast revenue sharing, um, the profit sharing provision that you reference, you know, that's how we get to a five-year deal as players. Um, and, and we felt like what was really important to us throughout, just philosophically throughout this contract was to bet on ourselves. We believe in the future of NWSL. At the end of the day, that's fundamentally what this is about. We believe that this is, um, this league is, a, is about to pop off, that there's tremendous commercial opportunity. It's why we we wanted our group licensing rights and we want to go out and make um, consumer products that people want to buy and players um, through the use of their name, image and likeness will will reap those benefits. Um, but we really do see a scenario where it is on the horizon that NWSL secures a profitable broadcast deal and that the league is profitable and that when that happens, that rising tide should lift all boats. And so, you know, there, yeah, are there going to be things in, the, in this contract where we get into it and we're like, 
oh yeah like okay that's a new development or we need to we've already i mean honestly in the first week of living into the contract we're looking where you go back through it and you're like okay what what is it we wanted what did they want and now this is a new thing how do we interpret it in that new landscape and i think that kind of gets to why the relationship with nwsl is so important because these are words on paper and you know everyone's going to we're going to follow what the agreement says but it's a relationship, right? And so we have these terms that govern the relationship. We also need to be able to communicate and solve problems. Um, and I'm pleased to say that I feel like we're already doing that. I mean, that's that's. I, I was just at the ESPN W Summit yesterday, Jessica Berman, on a panel with Julie Foudy. And, you know, I think uh, she's also told me, you know, I think the person that I talk to the most right now is Megan Merck <laughs> coming into this job, right? Like there is... <laughs> There is kind of the sense of, okay, you know, CBA in place, new commissioner in place, maybe some other things are going to follow. You know, I think the most interesting thing that they talked about yesterday with Foudy and, and Berman was kind of, you know, expansion is now looming again, right? And so there is going to maybe be some significant money coming mm-hmm. in that way. Obviously, you know, we see the spirit and Angel City, I think, impacting valuations of not just That's teams, right. but the league, right? And so, like, there is that sense of growth, right? And, and not just survival of the league, right? That's been such a thing that we've been talking about forever and ever and ever. But now we're kind of in that that trajectory. Um, so I want to start turning to my my physical copy of yes, the CBA. I'm ready. Let's and do I, it. I want to start just, you know, a lot of this stuff at the at the start is just kind of the bit, you know, talking about definitions and and duration and all that kind of stuff, but I think the first section that kind of hit some stuff in terms of details that was new was, you know, maybe people are going to hit article 6, which is management rights yep. and kind of think, okay, uh that that first section is like, well, the NWCL has full power to decide everything about the league, and it's like, <laughs> oh, kind of, right? But they have a pretty the, broad management rights clause, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So let's talk about it. So, you know, we looked at a lot of different versions of management rights clauses, and I will say that if you look at like NBA, um, MLB, NFL, um, WNBA, you know, the management rights clause is maybe a sentence or two. It's pretty limited. Um, and that's from, I've, I've probably forgotten more than I know at this point about the CBA. So someone will go back and look and tell me it was actually three sentences or four or something, but the, the gist being that, you know, a lot of management rights clauses can be a lot shorter. And and this is clearly, um, inspired by MLS. And if you think about it, there's a certain logic to it, you know, that, um, I think if we're intellectually honest, it's like end of cell was, kind of created in the image of MLS, this whole idea of having a single LLC and investors purchase operating rights for a certain territory and they own one twelfth of the business, for example, rather than being right. a true franchise system. And so, you know, I think that's probably why this issue, if I'm NWSL, this is the clause that feels like the win in the CBA um, because they wanted to retain a lot of flexibility. And to be fair, you know, they needed this. We're still in a growth stage. Um, I don't think we're a new league, but we're not a hundred years old. We're in the 10th year at, to your point, we're about to expand, I think in a pretty significant way. Um, and so it makes sense that there are some things that NWSL is still figuring out um, how to grow, for example, not how to launch, but how to grow. Um, there are a few things in here that, in, that are interesting from a law nerd perspective, which is that NWSL retained the management right to set the salary cap. 
and to set an age restriction and develop a homegrown rule. So those matters were not collectively bargained. And I think there's some interesting, maybe another podcast or another day, like an interesting question over, are they entitled to the antitrust protection um, that comes with not having collectively bargained those topics and those being unilaterally set through a management rights clause that was collectively bargained? Yeah, I mean, I I think when I saw the first mention of homegrown rule, I was like, interesting. All right, that will be... (laughs) That will get yep. a flag. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the other part of this too is, you know, the next section talks about, okay, well, they're going to have competition manuals, operation manuals, other rules, policies, guidelines, or practices. And I was curious to ask you, honestly, if if there was ever any thought of having explicitly in the document that those had to be in some form public. So I would love to see them be public. Um, I think the players would too. I think it would really benefit. Um, I think it would benefit the league's operations. I think it would benefit, um, you know, the growth of our, our fans and, and, you know, growth of interest in this league. Um, it surprises me. I mean, I, you know, I get contacted by agents who are like, how does this work? And I'm like, do you have the whatever? And they don't, you know, it's only going to help um, NWSL for those things to be more public. And that's the reason what we could control is the CBA um, there were plenty of the, the phrase I use with players was, is this a hill to die on? Yeah. You know, there were plenty of hills to die on in this contract that quite frankly, transparency around the competition operations manual was nowhere. It wasn't even on the list really. That's fair. Uh, but I will say on the issue of transparency, we talked a little bit about broadcast profit sharing. The trans that's tra- like, you see that there's a provision there that NWSL will share at a high level summary you know, the league's financials with a very discreet set of people with the players association so that we can understand is, you know, is the league profitable or not? Are we entitled to that 10% broadcast profit sharing? That's big. That is a tremendous step forward for NWSL. And I think a real commitment on the league and the board of governors part to be transparent with us. So there's, I do want to say this, there's a difference between transparency with players and transparency with fans and the wider public. Right. And I'm more concerned about, you know, it affects their employment, their livelihood, their safety for the league to be transparent with us as a players association. I don't think it's appropriate for the same level of transparency to apply to fans and the public. And so, you know, we feel really NWSL has been um, tremendously transparent with us in the last few weeks around when we ask for things, giving us things, explaining things. So I feel very comfortable with the transparency that we've achieved through this contract on behalf of players. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, there is. I mean, this was going to get into something that as we dug into player salary stuff, 
Um, but I did think it was really interesting that there's uh, an explicit statement in here in section eight or in article eight that the NWCL agrees that a player's salary shall not be disclosed to third parties by the NWCL or its teams without the prior written consent of the NWCL PA, just from a media perspective, because as we're now, you know, we're going to dig into free agency in here in a bit, but one of the very traditional kind of forms of sports coverage is trying to figure out can a player fit in the salary cap, right? And we don't have access to any of that in the NWSL. And I, I, you know, I think that there's been this understanding of since the salaries are where they've been, right, that having those numbers public was only going to really kind of be used against yep. the league um, for potentially bad faith arguments. But what was what was was that part of that kind of overall discussion in terms of the levels of transparency? So I would say, you know, we had a lot of internal discussion around this and, and the focus, I would say our focus was a little different than the way the question is phrased, which is we want players to have control over that. Right. Okay. The whole point of the contract was for players to claw back autonomy and control to secure their own rights. And so if a player wants to disclose her salary or their salary, that's her or their choice. Right. Like that, that was the, that was the fight from our perspective was player control over that information. It's actually unlawful to prohibit employees from talking about what they're, what they're making. Like you can't do that. Right? right. And so that was actually a win that like players can talk about it. Like, you know, that's their choice at some point. I do. I agree. I think it'd be super cool if we could publish a salary guide. And my preference would be that, you know, there are salaries that we're really proud to talk about in the six and seven figures, right? Like the concern that I've had as executive director of this organization. And I take my kind of duty to protect player health and safety very seriously has been that, you know, historically wages were so low and these are such talented, incredible people who are also very marketable that I don't want them to be exploited, right? Like, you right. know, it's like a concern, like if a player's making $22,000, like that, you know, you kind of get shocked. I will say we've seen, you know, really positive growth in uh, wages under this contract. And I think we'll continue to see that trajectory as the business grows, um, which again is another reason we felt comfortable not negotiating a salary cap because we actually think, the business is going to grow. It's going to far exceed the landscape that we're dealing with when we were negotiating the contract at that time. Um, but, you know, this is an issue where I think players felt like they're having control over this information was what was important to them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's totally fair just in terms of obviously <laughs> there has been kind of a, a strange, I mean, just from my own personal like media side of things, right? Like we still try to, have the fight of, can you just even tell us if allocation money has been used on this transaction? Because that would be helpful. And in theory, you're supposed to be disclosing that, but then that rule maybe disappeared and we don't really know. You know, like that's kind of the stuff yeah. of just what are what should we ex be expecting in terms of information and what should mm -hmm. we not be? And like, who's making that decision? And I think as long as that starts to be kind of more transparent in terms of like, what should you expect as a fan or as media or as a player who's in charge of making that decision in terms of if it's public or not, that at least helps give you something to point to finally and say, well, we don't have this because of this. So, well, I'm just going to throw out a crazy question, which is, you know, should there be a salary cap? I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, it's, it's such an interesting question because now I, I think as the league grows, right? Like I, my brain is now almost like in a pre-Friday, post-Friday in LA mm -hmm. mindset now, just in terms of how fast can you push, right? 
and what teams are going to be able to do. And I think that's always kind of been the tension of the NWSL where you have teams coming from very different like ownership profiles, all that kind of stuff. And so there has always been that sense of like, we don't want to leave teams behind that the parity and the quality of the league has always been so strong because teams are kind of operating within the same framework. But I think it's the same kind of existential question that MLS has been facing Mm -hmm since the beginning, but to your point, NWSL is kind of, from a structural point, you know, MLS influenced heavily. So, right. yeah. Right. There's a lot to dig yeah. into, just in terms of, like, the philosophical, mm-hmm. like, what does the NWSL want to be? And That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and my I don't know if we have the answer to that, like, from a league no, point yeah. of view. This is such an exciting year on so many levels. And one of them is we saw what happened with Angel City on Friday night. They're going to have, what is it, 12 more opportunities to do that throughout the season. Um, you look at what San Diego is doing. You know, you look at the growth. What is it? Houston. Yeah. Uh, what their, their attendance. The other. So what we need is we need more fans to come to games. At the end of the day, the bottom line, like, that's what needs to happen. We need more butts and seats, period. We need more eyeballs on the TV screen. That's how, that's what moves the needle. The more we do that, the more I think these existential conversations answer themselves, you know, um, should we have a salary cap? Well, you know, if you've got, you know, a, a league full of, uh, you know, 22,000 seat stadiums getting packed and sold out every single game, you know, if North Carolina courage plays the challenge cup final at 1 PM on a Saturday and they run out of tickets within 48 hours, you know, those are the kinds of metrics that then answer that question maybe we don't need a salary cap anymore, or maybe we don't need these kind of restrictions to bring up the bottom in NWSL. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the, the player salaries and, and the section, because now we do have kind of that, you know, 2022 minimum salary up to 35,000, obviously a pretty significant increase. Um, and by 2026, we're looking at a number over 40,000 for, for minimum salary for the first time, just in terms of, that, but also the fact that there was this whole kind of dedicated part of the CBA of everyone gets a bump based on this kind of tier system, which is spelled out explicitly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, you have to bring the bottom up, but then also the thought process of we have to bring everyone up based on where they're at right now. Yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, I, I know you know this, Meg, but just to remind everyone that this contract was ratified by the players, meaning, you know, majority had, I think, you know, majority has to, but basically everybody <laughs> supported this contract. Right. And that means that players at the top end of the salary scale, who saw the smallest increase in their salary supported this structure. And I think that what that speaks to is this idea that the goal in this contract and the commitment of the players was to bring up the bottom end of the salary scale and to bring people along with them as this, league grows. What we had seen over time, and I will say this chart, it's funny because we were at the bargaining table and we all understood what we meant, but no one could figure out how to say it. Like all that we were like, how do we, and and it might've even been Yael. She's like, I'm going to draw a picture. <laughs> we're like, yes, like this is the only way to explain. We all know what we're talking about, but we right. couldn't articulate, which is this idea that over time, you know, a six-year veteran, a nine-year veteran was seeing an increase in their pay but only because they're getting bumped up to the league minimum. And then you get a rookie coming in at exactly the same level 
but they're not exactly at the same level as players, right? Like you've got a veteran with six years and a rookie brand new to the league making the same salary. And that's just, no one felt like that felt that that didn't seem right. And so the first year of this contract is obviously a pivot, you know, it's not perfect, but it's a way of getting those who are making above the minimum, you know, where they needed to be in the market. And then the idea is that from year two on in the contract, the market is going to correct itself. And we'll answer that question and players will negotiate within this construct wherever they should land. Yeah. There's also, you know, obviously a, a lot. And I, I think we could probably spend like a whole podcast series breaking down this entire thing, but I do want to skip ahead into some of the benefits section because, this, I think, spells out a little bit more in terms of what existed previously, but we get into um, pregnancy benefits and nursing, parental leave, like that sort of stuff in the tail end of this section. And was there anything in particular that you thought about negotiating for this, or was this something that was kind of, you know, always always going to be a priority? It was always a priority. Um, you know, I think the the fundamental goal was that players shouldn't have to choose between parenthood and playing. Um, you know, I, I listened to Jess McDonald's podcast recently and I'm just, I, I was blown away before and I'm even more blown away now. Like, how did you do that? Um, you know, the goal would be that a player um, who wants to continue playing and can continue to play will. Um, eight weeks paid leave is solid. That's a compromise, right? Like, but NWSL didn't fight us on the concept. It was more just the particulars that we had to hash out at the bargaining table. Um, you know, the provision of clean and safe uh, nursing facilities. As someone who pumped after both, uh, you know, pregnancies it, or deliveries of children, I, well, I had twins. That's why it's always hard to figure out how to say that anyway. Um, you know, I, I pumped in some really strange places um, and it's awkward, you know, and, and just putting it in the CBA, it's like, now it's a thing that we all, we've seen it. And the next time a player comes along and say, Hey, I need a little spot. Like, like, Oh yeah, of course. You know, which is usually the response people have. So, you know, the CBA is a reflection of those values that this is important. Even if it was something that maybe folks were like, well, we'd have done it without the CBA. It, it reflects that it reflects that we agree. This is an important value in this. League. Yeah. I mean, it's setting like a minimum standard too, right? Yeah. Like teams might've been doing it, but it doesn't hurt to have it codified. So that way, if there is ever potentially something, you have something to point to and say, well, we've got to have we've got to have this okay. available that's right um i i will say article 10 vacation and time off i just found a little bit amusing just the concept of uh, having time off during the regular season for even from my own point of view right like what a concept um but just <laughs> the fact that we do now have like you know players can take three days off during the season assuming they communicate it like all just the level of detail right that this is what you have to kind of boil everything down to so you have that kind of document like that's I think some of the stuff that stuck out to me in terms of you really do have to think of everything (laughs) we tried to we really tried to think of everything we tried to think around the corners um you know and I'm sure we'll discover during the next five years like oh I wish you know that's and that's why it, it is again a first contract um we agonized over just like what do players need and really doing our best to fight for those things. I, you know, I sort of, again, you know, the goal here was a concept and that what feels really important in article 10 is frankly something that probably isn't terribly exciting to anyone else, but it's that it's the definition of what time off is. It means they may not require work from any player during the protected period of time. 
And then we spelled it out. That includes, but is not limited to training, strength or conditioning, matches, meetings, appearances, travel. You know, people often think of just the games they see on TV and may not appreciate and understand what a professional athlete's full workday looks like. It is, they, you know, and we had this conversation at the bargaining table. It's not a nine to five Monday through Friday. You know, it's arguably a seven day a week. I mean, even your off day is actually you're resting and recovering. Like you're limiting what you're doing physically to make sure you're geared up and ready to go for the next day. So, um, you know, we've actually spent a lot of time as players, like educating people on what is a day off, right? Like, what is that? <laughs> um, and it actually is, I'm serious. That's yeah. been one of the issues. I've had to like really spend time with players. I call it, so I've jokingly started referring to them as Nanya days, They're like, like Nanya business. Yeah. Like that's a day that like, it's just yours, you know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, you know, it's, and, and the, frankly, that also gets into some of the mental health stuff, but it's like, just helping players find that uh, work-life balance. The other thing about the section two is the fact that there's the full introduction of an in-season break, right? Which is something that, you know, I think we were used to in this league for a while and then suddenly disappeared, even though like it, it was going up against tournaments, right? But having that come back in and also knowing, okay, seven days of vacation during this break, which is going to count towards the total of 42 vacation days, um, it really does feel like that is an important addition just to have like an actual rest period yeah. <laughs> during the, the season because it's season a long season. Long. That's right. When the season was only a few months long, was, this wouldn't have made any sense, but the season has gotten longer and longer and longer. And, and I was, you know, we did try to, uh, we, we had some proposals on the table about respecting FIFA international match calendar windows. And that's kind of where these discussions came alive. Um, and, and out of respect for the people who do the schedule, making a schedule is a mind blowing. Like I I'm glad I'm not it. I'll put it that way. I, it I would agree with that. I would agree. I'm, Everyone's like Meg be in charge of the schedule. And I'm like, absolutely not. No way. First of all, half of it's computers, but the part well, that right. isn't, is just also miserable. So yeah. it's a really difficult task. And I think as our, again, as our sport, as our league grows and becomes a primary tenant or as maybe the better way to put it would be people see that we should be or are the primary tenant. Um, scheduling will hopefully become a little more manageable. And then it becomes more manageable to build in, um, you know, stricter guardrails around the schedule. This ensured that there's consistency. Whether you play for this team or that team, whatever your schedule looks like, that there's at least you can count on this. And, and what's been really cool to hear actually is like the number of questions I've gotten from players who are like, hey, when's that mid-season break? Because they're planning on like, you know, they haven't been able to go on vacation with their extended family on a reunion or they have a brother or sister who's getting married or, you know, like it just is helping them plan their lives. And it's it's forcing clubs to have a conversation um, that they probably were going to have anyway. And they were going to do this anyway, but it's just providing some clear framework for this to happen. Yeah. All right. Next section, Article 11 is a big one. Um, just because this handles not only injuries, but mental health. And I know the mental health stuff was super, super important to the players. I mean, Carrie Ricaro um, has talked about kind of her role in this. Um, but the fact, you know, Section 11.2 says that the, the team shall, secu shall secure the services of a sports psychologist in each market. They're going to be available to provide clinical sports psychology during the course of the regular season at no cost to players. But also, I think the next section is just as important that the allegiance of team healthcare professionals is spelled out explicitly yeah. in the document, right? Which I think feels like a big protection for players there. I think so too. I mean, you think about, um, 
you know, the relationship between a physician or a sports psychologist or an athletic trainer and a player. And, you know, it just helps just remind people like this is, this is medical care and it's, it's their allegiance is to protect the health and safety of the player. That yeah. feels really important. There's also, I think a win here too, uh, on the next page in terms of players being able to go to a surgeon of their choice, right. Also to get second opinions in right. here, right. Which I think feels like a new thing, question mark based on my understanding of, of where we were at. It, it makes it consistent uh, yeah. and available to everyone. Yeah. Um, again, also more protections for mental fitness to play in this section. Mm -hmm. um, to your point, data for players mm -hmm. also now being spelled out in this. Um, I did want to talk about some of the, the travel stuff just in terms of, you know, it feels like there were a few things that maybe the the players realized should maybe go down the priority list in terms of, okay, if we're going to get wins here, we're not going to necessarily fight for, you know, <laughs> charter flights, right? Like WNBA right. is having that conversation right now, but it really just kind of in the, the mode of transportation stuff, right? It's just make reasonable efforts to ensure that all player seats are either aisle or window. Like, please don't stick us in a middle seat. Thank right. you. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what yeah. that says. Um, I mean, you know, I've come to learn it. This issue came up recently and I got to understand a little more about like how travel gets booked. Um, we're not yet in a place of chartering flights. And that's really, that would be the answer, right? If we could just charter a plane, yep. no matter how, no matter the distance. And what I, what I really, frankly, I think is it bears repeating. And I think it's important to acknowledge the player's approach to this, which is the reasonableness of the contract, right? Like, the big wins are big. They're huge. And, and players were strategic to your point in saying, you know, free agency, mental health, like all the broadcast profit sharing, like all that felt like important concepts to fight for. And I think to a player, you would hear them say a lot of wins in this contract are not things they themselves are going to really get to see and experience in their careers. They're fighting for things that will reap benefits down the road. We talked about this is the next, you know, this is the next 2.0 conversation or this is a 3.0 fight or whatever it is. And charter flights are a great example. We're like, we're not in a position to do that. We, you know, sleeper buses for driving, like we're not in a position to be able to do that or require it. And we actually looked at that issue. Do you know, sleeper buses are only, I think they're in at a facility in Seattle. And so like, if you try to get a sleeper bus, it has to be shipped first. And then, and then that cost adds up. Well, then right. if you look at, you know, the cost of this contract, that's money that can't then go into player compensation, for example. So Players were pretty savvy about what felt important. And someday, I hope we can talk about charter flights, but that day was not today. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's part of, you know, what we've seen in terms of U.S. Women's National Team, CBA negotiations, in terms of WNBA negotiations, right? And, and, and that's why when I think about flights and kind of all that kind of stuff, it's just my brain immediately goes to Howard's story on the WNBA and that kind of push and pull, right, of that there is tension on the CBA on kind of both sides of like not meeting yep. minimum standards, but also going too far. Right. Oh, and how, how right. do you, how do you pull everyone kind of back into the boundaries That's exactly of the right. document? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, all right. Big one coming up. Article 13 player movement. Ah, yes. There's, there's so much here. Um, but obviously the fact of now that we even have the words free agency and restricted free agency it in a document. Nice. Uh, just say it again. My two favorite words. 
<laughs> you know, this is going to be the first taste of of mm-hmm. free agency in, I mean, you know, the NWL, right? But obviously, this was such a focus in terms of feeling like players were going to have control over yeah. their careers, over movement, right? I, I think that became such a such a big bigger topic, right? Obviously everything 2021, there's a lot coming out of that. But one of the real themes of my own reporting, but also a lot of conversations too, is that so much of kind of the instability for what players felt was tied to their contract, was tied to the fact that they felt like they couldn't really control, right? That they were going to get traded uh, on a moment's notice, that they weren't involved in this process. And now to have free agency locked in in terms of, right. you know, within certain systems, right? And and looking at when they, when it's going to start, how it's going to start, like it's phased in. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's talk about free agency. Let's do it. Let's talk about free agency. Ah, I love it. Um, this was obviously one of the highest priorities, you know, to the players. And, and look, we, when I, when I've tried to, when I've talked to people elsewhere around the world about the contract, cause you know, other PFAs are looking at this and they're like, okay, so explain to me what this is. I'm like, what, what we call free agency, you just call it a contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it bears repeating the global standard is free agency full stop from the beginning. All the rules that operate in the background of control players' rights are, are that's not what Germany, England, France, Italy, Spain, Mexico, that's not what they're doing. So, you know, this was the existential question. I think we've talked about this on a prior podcast, which is, you know, this is one of those articles that really talk, answers the question, what is NWSL? What, what do we want to be? And, you know, the we had this discussion in the very first in-person bargaining session, which was, do you want to be an American sport competing with NFL, NBA, MLB, et cetera? Or are we a global sport competing on the world stage for the world's best talent? And the, the honest answer is that I think, I, I think we're the latter. <laughs> um, and we're about to see, you know, the, you got the 23 world cup, the 24 Olympics, 26 world cup that we're hosting the 27 world cup. So a lot's going to happen during the term of this contract, but you know, the challenge is going to be, how do we, how do we pivot? We've now gotten the year 10. We've grown this business. That's now, I think, again, about to pop off. That's very successful. We're seeing what happened in the first couple of weeks of the season this year. Um, how do we make that turn? And I don't think you do it in one pivot, right? It's going to be a few pivots. So this is the first pivot. And it, in my mind, this first pivot is a huge one because players would have loved to see full on free agency year one, right? But that, that wasn't the compromise that was going to be struck. In this compromise, the free agency framework will start next season. And so players with six or more service years will be full on free agents, period, full stop. Where we got to that, the year of implementation and the number of years of service was actually a very well thought out. I think this bears like some explaining. Um, teams are going to need time to plan for this, right? This is not something like you just all of a sudden throw full free agency in and it's going to be kind of wild. Right. And the league needs to figure out how to administer it and who's eligible. And there's going to be some work that goes into that. So we've got this season to prepare and that preparation is starting now. Um, so there's that on onboarding, but we also as players wanted to see the veterans, the people who built this league, even if it's just one season, get to see what it's like to have autonomy and control over their careers and have that ability to be a free agent. If we had, if the three and five framework, as I call it, had been implemented 
this year, I was blown away to learn how many players would have been eligible for free agency. It was like everybody. It was actually a lot of people, which would have the weird effect of the unintended consequence of actually suppressing wages. Right. So, cause everyone would be competing and then it, right. it doesn't. So the players that would be the most veteran wouldn't have that advantage. They just still be kind of stuck in the same boat they were before. So by doing six or more years, it's about a quarter of all players and it gives them a head start. So it gives a veterans a chance to go out on the market as free agents and see what they can do. And then a year later, if you're, if you have five or more service years, which was the number we all kind of had negotiated and agreed on, you're a free agent. If you have three or more service years, you can go out and try to get a better offer and your team has a right of first refusal. So that's more what the WNBA has. Right. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> I'm trying to like mentally wrap my head around even like reporting <laughs> free agency mm-hmm. for the first time. I-, I think to your point, yeah, introducing it right off the bat would have been pure chaos, um, which to be fair is what this league is known for. I- the other part of this too is, you know, there's that side of player movement. There's obviously some language in here about drafts too, but the other big question that I think I had going into the CBA was, what was going to happen to the discovery process? Because I think this has been a pain point for mm-hmm. players, especially yes. international players, for a very long time of, I'm on a list somewhere and no one told me about it, right? And now we've got some some spelled out detail here in terms of how notification will work, right? Like players can actually ask if they're on a discovery list, but there's also now this, this procedure of, if you want to sign, you actually now kind of know what you're doing instead of trying to navigate this process on your own. But it also still feels like this is a little bit of a compromise because based on the vibe I have, players just want this gone, right? Again, the global <laughs> yeah. the global game is not operating under a dibs system. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So that's yeah. <laughs> no, a great question. Yeah. We, look, going into this process, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said eliminating discovery would have been one of the top, I don't know, five or seven priorities, right? Like there's a lot of priorities. So it's hard to say what <laughs> number that what rank order. Um, but here's the problem. And actually, you know, this is where having someone like Yael involved in the negotiation is so important because, you know, she's a former player. She founded the Players Association. Now she's general manager for Gotham. So she's getting a little vantage point, like at this whole ecosystem. And here, I got to say this too. Here's the crazy thing. We all need each other in NWSL. (laughs) Turns out you don't, you know, players can't play without teams. Teams can't perform without players. We need a league office to administer all of it. We need referees in the field to officiate. We need fans that show up to survive. So it turns out we all need each other. And that's why these compromises are so important because if the players had their way, you know, the, the whole thing, we all, we all need to have our needs met and our priorities, you know, dealt with in this contract. I would have thought getting rid of discovery would be a high priority, but then as you get into it and we start thinking about it and looking at it and talking to Elle and understanding her vantage point, it was like, well, but once you have a hybrid system. Once you aren't doing completely away with the old way of doing things and you're implementing a new system of free agency, you have to have mechanisms that actually protect free agency by not letting someone do an end run around these rules we've created to become a free agent without meeting the criteria. That's not fair to all the people who are free agents, right? So as much as I may not love discovery, it is necessary in this system. And here's why. If a player's not drafted and she therefore, and this was, I think, the way we did it in WSA and WPS, you're effectively a, a free agent. Right. And my argument would be, well, right, that's a free agent with less bargaining power because she wasn't, she's not one of the players that teams wanted to draft. So she or they will go out and try to latch onto a team. But, you know, that doesn't make them a free agent of the, like, Christian press, you know, variety or, you know, name the players. And that's dangerous for me to do as executive director of the players association, but you know what I meant? So, you know, with the discovery system, what it does then is prevent a player who's undrafted from just going out and shopping around, right. They have to go through a process. Well then, okay, we agree now, you know, this is kind of the stage of the negotiation. All right. I understand what you're saying. We need to have a discovery process. I still have a problem with teams holding rights in perpetuity. Right. So what this does, what this compromise does is it basically says if you're going to put a player on a discovery list, you kind of need to pull the trigger. You got to decide. Yeah, right? like you can't just like now. It, we didn't actually put. We tried to get time limitations in there on how long a player could be on a list, but it, it turns out administratively it was a lot more complicated. But there's basically a complete deterrent to like just sticking a player on a list and you know never taking taking them off because you you can go out and get a competing offer now. So you're not a, you're not necessarily a free agent, but you're not stuck either. So the player ha- the club has to either sign the player within 30 days, or then go out and try to get a better deal. And that's a huge win because that was the pro that when we really thought about what was what is really our problem with the discovery list. And I have to say this is one of the most important things in the negotiation. Isn't just what's in the contract, but what you learn about what's important to you, and what you learn about like why do we take this position. Well, right. At the root of it is this idea that a player gets stuck and they can't get out from under it. Well, after 30 days, you can go get unstuck. So that feels like a big one. Right. Right. I want to talk to you about we all need each other because I think Article 19 with this player council speaks mm-hmm. to that a little bit. The fact that there is now this kind of codified two yeah. reps from the NWSLPA, two reps from the NWSL, and then the NWSL commissioner or their designee, Right. 
The parties agree that they have a mutual interest in maximizing the effectiveness of operations, ensuring continued positive relationships, fostering the continued growth and success of the NWSL and promoting the NWSL and its teams. And so we now have this council in place that's going to meet, you know, a specific number of times minimum. Um, but why was it important to get that in the document? So we actually, it was interesting because this, um, this was in our opening proposal uh, from March of last year, and it came up over the summer at the bargaining table. Um, with the idea actually came not from sports. <laughs> so what's one of the advantages of having labor council who are true union side labor lawyers, um, they generally represent like, you know, construction workers and teachers and police officers and clerks and sanitation workers. And this is actually a labor management council is the thing um, in a lot of other industries. And we just thought that's a pretty good idea. Um, you know, it seems like it would improve communications with NWSL. And, and one of the things that we've talked a lot about internally is that when you get to know the humans in this league, you start to understand like they're really good people doing like they're in it because they believe in this thing. And they also, they care deeply about it. And, and we need to understand that more about each other. Um, that some of the failures of last year are, I don't say they're systemic to excuse it <laughs> at all. But it's like literally like the information didn't flow from here to there to there to there. That's what needs to be fixed. Not that, you know, this person was trying to block the information. Or, and, and we'll find out if that is what was going on, of course. But my point being, this allows better communication, better human relationships, which we all really need in this league. Um, and, and just as a point of, I don't know, an observation, it was very difficult to come to terms on Article 19 for reasons we don't have to get into right now. But you know, it was for some reason a complicated article to work out. Now today, looking at this contract, you know, the conversation I literally had before this podcast was we might want to meet more often. We might want to have more people. We might want to like, you know, this created a bar that we fought to get to a year ago. And now post ratification, we're already exceeding it and thinking, let's not let this be a limitation. Let's think about, you know, what more we could do. I think Commissioner Roman seems to be interested in, you know, like, this article in particular and setting it up and has been um, very interested in getting that rolling. So we're going to do that, but we're also already as a PA thinking about like, how could we make this more inclusive? Got it. All right. We've already, we're chugging through this document. I'm skipping over a huge amount of things, but there are two fun ones at the very end of this document that we absolutely have to talk about article 23 all-star game. (laughs) Number one. Why not? Come on. (laughs) I mean, look, this is definitely an example of how, like, we're still an American sport, right? Like, an all-star game isn't really a thing anywhere else, but how fun (laughs) it would be. Um, Yeah, I mean, we, like, we put this on the table because we're like, we think it's something the league, if they haven't already thought about, probably should be, and let's account for it. Right. So, I I mean, I think, you know, it's been on the wish list for a lot of folks for a very long time, just in terms of, you know, from a marketing point of view, right, for that's that's been one of the league's strengths for so long. But also, you know, you're talking about putting the fun back in NWSL, there's there's a lot to be done around an all star game. And it is really funny just because sometimes I think, you know, like I've attended MLS ones and they have an interesting approach just in terms of they have an MLS all star team playing against another team. So there is the potential even within the document of we could have either an NWSL all-star team one or two teams playing each other. Um, 
But it is really funny how I'm not always like super interested in all-star games for other leagues, but when it comes to the NWSL, I'm like so desperately like, please give it to me. I want I want the skills competitions. I want like, I want all of the parts of it. So um, I do think that there was a lot of excitement just seeing it planned for potentially of, okay, if it does happen, we've got it already set and ready to go. That's right. Yeah. The final one that I wanted to bring up with you, I feel like was put in this document specifically for me. It is section 27.10, schedule release. And I know I'm opening <laughs> myself up to jokes by bringing this up, but... Um, the Meg Linehan section? Yeah, it, it got a flag for me, and I was just like, ah, yes. Um, <laughs> because it actually does codify when the final draft, at least, of the regular season game schedule... Um, gets sent to you as a P- as a PDF, basically, and then um, that is no later than 14 days prior to the start of the opening game of the regular NWSL game schedule, not to include Challenge Cup, um, which is kind of wild because I think if you were getting the final draft of the schedule two weeks before the season started, we would be in a very... It would be very different. Yeah, it would, it would be yeah. a little chaotic. Um, yeah, yeah. But were you laughing when this language <laughs> got yeah. just Thank just you. thinking yeah. of my endless yeah. suffering? Yes, it, you were front and center of our minds um, <laughs> in this section. <laughs> yeah, no, we really, um, you know, this is a good example where like we're just trying to address things that have been pain points for people in the past. And I think. I, I would like to think everyone in the NWSL ecosystem agrees that there are things, these are just minimum standards. The CBA sets a minimum, right? Everything, we can far exceed these minimums. And this is an example where that's the case. It is best practice to release the schedule much, 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 much earlier than 14 yeah. days prior to. And I think everyone agrees on that. And so this was like a minimum, like, you know, you can't do it the day before or the week before, but, you know, <laughs> from a competitive advantage perspective, both on the marketplace and on the field and everywhere else, like we want the schedule sooner so people can plan their lives and maybe come to a few games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, just some, some proactive planning. Um, But in terms of, you know, to your point, okay, we can exceed some of these minimum standards, but then also, as we were talking about earlier, sometimes you might have to rein teams back in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you know what situation is what? when it comes to that of, okay, you're trying to charter a flight right now. This is not where, where we should be at. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think um, that's, what's interesting. I actually don't feel that we're going to try to rein teams in that's, you know, the league office retained through the management rights clause, um, the ability to set league rules and, you know, to create an operations and competition manual. So if a team charters a flight, that's awesome. Good on them. <laughs> we're not, you know, we're not interested in preventing teams. In fact, we'd love to see that yep. wide. The question is, you know, to me, that's why I asked the question, why it, should there be a salary cap? Because your built-in cap is the revenue you bring in as a business. So, you know, if a team is crushing it and they've got, you know, enough cash to go around that they want to charter a flight across four time zones to maintain the com- competitive advantage of playing in a challenge cup final or NWSL final. Good. That's great. <laughs> You're not going to hear a complaint from me. <laughs> um, but what they can't do is charter a flight at the expense of paying players what they're entitled to in article eight. Got it. Got it. All right. Any final thoughts that you think, you know, I mean, do you, 
I'm guessing you want fans reading this document, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. NWSLplayers.com. Click on contract in the middle of the page. Um, I would love for fans to read the contract, but I'd really love for them to read the dedication too. Um, we put a lot of thought into that dedication and it was a, you know, certainly something we lived and, um, you know, frankly, I've, I've said this to players and I guess I'll say it here, which is that it's, you know, been the, the privilege and the honor of my professional life to serve as their executive director for this players association. And specifically at this time in negotiating our first contract, um, you know, this has been an extraordinary experience and, and to a person, I mean, just fans need to come to games. They need to get to know our players. They're amazing humans. I mean, we can all join. Uh, I think it's Andre Carlisle from DC has just been on the like, go to games train. And I, I feel like everyone, at least in this Zoom right at the moment, is on that same. <laughs> go to games. Yeah. Not hard. Go to games. Yep. Yeah, all right. Fan. Well, thank you for walking us through this this document, um, answering all the questions. I'm sure we will probably have more CBA talks in, so. in the future since, yeah. you know, we've got it for, for another five years. That's right. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you to Megan for so much of her time. Uh, it was very fun to see her right after it had been signed on Friday and kind of get the sense that, you know, uh, there there were some emotions there and also some freedom. Um, as she just said, though, the direct link for the collective bargaining agreement will be in the show notes so you can read it as a PDF. Read the dedication there while you're on your way. All right. Thank you to everyone who has reached out about our team at The Athletic picking up first place in the APSE Awards. Katie, Steph, and Pablo and I all appreciate it. It's just very encouraging to see NWSL coverage getting that sort of recognition from uh, from an industry point of view. Um, obviously, it was an honor just to be in the top 10 finalist list. This is a, a pretty elite thing. I know our, our process for nominating stories at The Athletic is already kind of a very intense process. So to get all the way through to the end has been a very wild ride. And I know on behalf of all of us, we all really appreciate everyone that reached out on Twitter and, and everywhere else. I got a lot of comments in person as well. Um, it's just nice to, to see NWSL coverage getting that, that level of recognition. All right. That's it for this week. For all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information. If you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, again, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash fulltime. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Of course, Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman, who's having a very busy week of his own and still getting this podcast put together. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thank you for listening. Thank you.